It's the one work of the Spirit that we often are a little bit, um, you know, it's a little unfamiliar to us the first couple of times we're around it. And so, therefore, if we are not educated and taught concerning it, then the adversary will get a stronghold in our mind, and therefore we will reject something that God intends to be a great blessing to us. Come on. And so, therefore, it is, it's my responsibility as a pastor to help teach and equip our church family. Now, we stand up every week in honor of the Scripture. There's going to be a lot of other Scriptures that we're going to be referencing here today, primarily from the uh, for 1 Corinthians 14. But we're going to start in that passage of Scripture with just one verse, and oddly enough, this verse doesn't necessarily seem to say anything along that line. And, uh, but I really believe that it, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing by inspiration of God, is, is kind of challenging the listener here. He's challenging the recipient of this letter. And as you stand up, just remember this today. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he, he wrote to a people that he said he commended them for their zeal for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, he said, you come behind in no gift. And so they were a people that were zealous after the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's understood by the context that they had gone beyond the proper parameters. And even something that's good can be misused and create confusion. Even something that's designed to bring edification can, can create confusion. So therefore, it's our responsibility. So once y'all stand up one last time, let's read this verse of Scripture here because in the midst of this particular chapter, the, 20, the 14th chapter, the Apostle Paul kind of just drops this down here as he's expounding on some of the gifts of the Spirit, but especially the ministry gift of speaking in other tongues as well as alluding to the private use of it, he said this, it's on the screen behind me, it's in front of me, brethren, be not children in understanding. However, in malice or in hatred be ye children, which children don't hate that often. Men build hate up in their heart. And so he's saying in children, he said, be like, or in malice or hatred or bitterness, be like a child. Don't, don't, don't hold grudges and don't be hateful. But he said, but in the context of understanding, then be men. Mature and grow and, and, and develop an understanding. Now, as he wrote this, and notice this where he placed this verse, he placed it right in the context of spiritual gifts. It's our responsibility to in, concerning spiritual gifts that we have to, as Solomon said, in all of our getting, get understanding. We have to put ourselves in an environment to, to diligently study these things out. Our ignorance will keep us, if we're not careful, from maximizing the potential that the work of the Spirit does in our heart and our lives. Right? We'll be afraid. We'll be in error. We'll be afraid, to, to, we'll be afraid that we're doing something that's not biblical. But if we study the Word of God, we become approved and affirmed in this doctrinal belief, and then we have the confidence to begin to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. So today, our subject matter is very specific. I'm not, I'm not talking about other gifts of the Spirit. I'm not, there's a lot of diversity to the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. Today, I want you to grow in your understanding so that you can discover the power of speaking in other tongues because there is power connected to it. 
and release through it. So let's pray. Father, I humble myself amongst this church family, and I ask today, God, with all sincerity of faith, that both preaching and teaching would come easy here today, that there would be a clarity, Father, that the Holy Spirit who resides inside, God, would teach us. Your word says it's the anointing that will teach us, God, today. Let my confidence not be in the flesh. Let my confidence not be in my personal study, Father God, but let my confidence rest in the work of the Holy Spirit today, God. Father, I love you today. I thank you for every person here today. And let us not be distracted by anything, God, but give us a, a, a sound mind as we contemplate this subject today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Before we kind of unlock this subject in a little bit greater detail, we're actually going to just for a moment of time, we're going to kind of go back to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. When he was with his disciples, towards the end of his life, he's preparing them for uh, you know, him to be taken. Now remember, as he's sharing these things that we're about to read quickly, we're going to glean through some passages in John 14, 15, and 16. When Jesus talked about going away, his disciples did not contemplate you know, the meaning behind it. They didn't understand that he would be violently taken from them, abused on the cross of Calvary. Come on, they would watch him be buried in Joseph's borrowed tomb, but certainly they were there to celebrate when he was raised from the dead. But as he's sharing all of that, even the hope of resurrection, they didn't understand. He even addressed that in one of these passages. But I want you to see for just a moment that as we endeavor and we desire to be people of the Spirit and long for the work of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that it's flowing through Jesus and our love for Jesus and our pursuit. You know, he's called Jesus Christ the Anointed One. I've said this before in, in, the, in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was divided, the Bible says, that was his anointing. That was the anointing of God. The Bible says that God gave the, uh, Jesus the Holy Spirit without measure. But we have the Holy Spirit in measure. The Bible says that he gives us the earnest of our inheritance. Anybody that's ever done a real estate transaction, you put down earnest money. You didn't pay for the whole piece of property. You just received a portion of it. You and I receive a measure of the work of the Holy Spirit. God gave Jesus the work of the Spirit without measure, unlimited. The Holy Spirit was divided. He's, still, he's divided upon the body. His fullness resides in the body. Come on, all, that's why we need one another. And we need each person to be zealous for these things. So let's read these passages real quickly today. Set the proper context. Notice how we uh, are pursuing these things because of the exhortation that Jesus gave to his disciples. 16th verse, 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I will pray the Father... He said, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another comforter. And the reference to another comforter is because as he was walking with his disciples, to a degree he was their comforter, their friend, their encourager, their strengthener, the one that would help them in the time of trouble. But here he's saying, but I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to give you another comforter. He's going to abide with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world can't receive him. Come on now, the world can't receive this work of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be born again to receive the work of the Spirit of God. We'll allude to that in a moment of time. world can't receive this because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he shall be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. 
So when that Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives and we receive of his fullness, in essence, that's Christ coming to us through the work of his Spirit. Let's go a little further. But when the Comforter, 26th verse, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, I won't go there today, but what a gift. He will allude to this on more than one occasion in this passage that the greatest teacher that we have today is the Holy Spirit himself who abides on the inside of us. 1 John 2 and 27 says, if the anointing abides in you, you have no need for any man to teach you. We can all be Bible scholars because of the revealing power, the revelation power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go a little further. John 15 and 26, one verse. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth forth from the Father, he's going to testify of me. We'll learn this more in the days ahead, but one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in your life is a revelation of who Jesus is. As you begin to learn to, to, to receive that unction from the, from the Holy Ghost. So let's go a little further. John 16 and 7. Nevertheless, now this, was the, this is the startling statement, to their ears especially. Because he said, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you, King James English, it is more advantageous for you that I go away. Now that's a difficult statement for them to hear because all of us would find comfort in, you know, standing in the vicinity of Jesus. You know, he was in the boat with them. That was a small boat, 12 men or 12 disciples plus Jesus, you know, around a campfire, walking along the Galilean Sea, going through the city streets, you know. That would be a great comfort to have him there in the person. Just like uh, you've got a, a friend or a spouse or someone that in your fearful seasons you find comfort. I know Sister Sherry gets a little afraid when it starts thundering for whatever it is. And if she's on the far side of the bed, she's like a cat, just, you know, like jumps under the roof, you know, and then just right there. She, for whatever reason, she finds comfort in this 172 pounds of massive muscle, I guess. I don't know. She finds comfort in that. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. Now, listen, listen. So you got to think like that for a moment. The person that you are so, that, that you gain strength from being there beside, that you know is going to lift you when you're down, going to strengthen you when you're weak, come on, that's going to heal your hurts, come on. And he said, it, 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 and, that, and that's Jesus to them. And he said, it's, but it's advantageous if I go away because if I stay here, all the work of grace is, is in me bodily, in one person at one time only. I can't go with all 12 of you when I send you to the four corners of the earth to preach the gospel. I can't go with you when this gospel is spread. But if I go away, I will pray to the Father and he will send the comforter who will come. Come on, he will come and he will abide with you forever. Now let's go a little further in that passage, 12th verse. I have many things yet to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hears, that will he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. He shall, look at this, he will receive of mine all things that are of Christ, and he's going to show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. 
Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and he will show it unto you. I'm telling you, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in a powerful way. Come on, to strengthen us to be the people God has called us to be. Let me take a moment of time to kind of build this context for you for just a moment. There is a difference between being born again and being filled with the Spirit. They're both works of the Spirit, but it's a distinct difference in the work of the Spirit. See, man is a triune being. You're a triune being. You're made in the likeness and the image of God. God exists eternally as a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When he made man, he made man in his likeness and in his image. You're made in the image of God. You have a spirit, a soul, and a body. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, Paul said this, I pray that you may be sanctified wholly in your spirit, soul, and body. And when we were unsaved without Christ, we would call that that we were unregenerate. We had a soul, we had our mind, will, and emotions. It's psyche in the Greek. We could know of God, but we could not know God intimately by the Spirit because God is a spirit. And if you're going to worship God, you've got to worship Him in spirit. You can't just see religion teaches men how to know God in their mind, will, and emotions, but it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we can truly know God when we get born again. See, in John 3 and 6, Jesus said this. He said, if a man be born of water, he said, and then he's just flesh, paraphrasing John 3 and 6. He said, but you've got to be born of both water and the Spirit. If you're not born of the Spirit, then you'll not see God. You can't know God. You can't truly know who he is. You can know him from afar, but you can't know him intimately. But when you, by faith in Jesus Christ, cry out to God, the Bible says that God sends his spirit into your heart. Come on now. Causing you to be born again, born from above. Nicodemus, who was a religious teacher, asked Jesus when Jesus used that phrase, how can I be born the second time? How can I enter into my mother's womb? He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The world doesn't discern this. We can talk about it and they can nod and they can call us born-again Christians, but they cannot understand how that we know God in the Spirit because their eyes have not been illuminated to it. But we can say it because we know Him by the Spirit. It's about regeneration. The work of the Holy Spirit produces a regeneration. Think about this. I've used this analogy in the past. I want to mention it to you very quickly. It's the analogy of a battery. Let's say an automotive battery. An automotive battery would have sails inside it. It would also have either water or acid. But that it could have a shale, it could have the, the sail, and it could have the, the water and the acid inside, but it can still be without life. Come on. It can be dead. But if you hook it up to a charger, then life is brought back into it. That's the way we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We didn't know God, but from afar. We might have knew of God in our, our, our psyche, our soulish realm, but when we trusted in God, hallelujah, then the Holy Spirit entered into our heart crying, Father, Father, and we were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. The life of God entered into us, and you know it. Come on, you know that the life of God resides on the inside of you. But there's a difference between having the life of God and having the fullness of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because you can have a battery that's got power that's not fully charged. 
You can have a cup that's got water that's not full. Come on. And you can be genuinely saved, born again by the Spirit, and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, and, but we want to have both. We want to be born of the Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after his resurrection, he met his disciples the very first time in Galilee. And what did he do? He breathed on them. John 20 and 22 says this. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, later in Acts 2, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. So it confirms to us that there are two experiences, two different works of the Spirit in the life of a believer, being born again by the Spirit, but you can also be baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in other tongues, you say, Pastor, how will I know when I am baptized in the Holy Spirit? Speaking with other tongues is the biblical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the initial physical evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Time will not allow me. We went through this on Wednesday night. There are five recorded incidents in the book of Acts where the Bible says that men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Three times it plainly says they spoke with other tongues and or prophesied. Two times it doesn't say it, but the context directly implies that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. So I can't give you any other experience other than the biblical evidence. That's all I base my experience upon. I don't base my experience just on my experience. I base it upon the biblical evidence. And so I want what the Bible says to accompany the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and that is speaking with other tongues. Now, again, it's the most controversial work of the Holy Spirit. It's the, the, it's the work of the Spirit that some denominations and ministries look at, and they are afraid of it, and they stand afar. Some are cessationists, which means they believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased at the end of the first century. You and I are not cessationists. We believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and 39, Jesus said, The promise is to you, your children, and your children's children, even as many as our Lord God should call. It's a perpetual promise. As long as the church is in the earth, then God's going to be pouring His Spirit out upon all flesh. Speaking in tongues, is, this is what it is defined. It is inspired utterance in language unknown to the speaker. Inspired utterance. Tongues may be this right here. Just for a moment, let me give you three breakdowns to tongues. Tongues may be known dialects. There are over 6,000 dialects, known languages in the world. You and I might be privy to just a few of them. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 10, there are so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without meaning. Just because you don't understand the meaning of it doesn't mean God needs a translator. Come on now. He doesn't have to Google search words. Come on, it doesn't matter. We can pray in one language. Somebody else can be around the world, on the other side of the world, praying in a language that's totally, you know, a barbarian or foreign to us, and we can't understand it, but God understands it. Known dialects. Tongues may also be words, I believe, or sentences of multiple dialects that come together as you pray in the Spirit. And as we reference Wednesday night, tongues may be the tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. But today, I'm going to show you quickly. I won't go into this distinction. We'll work on this on Wednesday night. But there is, the, there is a difference between the gift of tongues for public ministry that must be accompanied by interpretation in order to edify the body as a whole and the personal private use of tongues 
that edifies the believer. Today, my focus will not be on the ministry gift of speaking in other tongues, but it will be on the devotional usage. It's the same in essence, but it differs in purpose. Have you ever had something in your life that had multiple purposes? It was the same instrument, but you used it for different purposes? That's what the work of the Holy Spirit through speaking in other tongues. I'm going to drop ten nuggets of principles in your heart today about the power of speaking in other tongues. If you will listen today, God will illuminate your eye and let you see the value of what this experience can add to your life. Once that happens and you have the experience and the revelation that should accompany it, you will move away from being ashamed, being kind of shy over the issue that you speak with other tongues. You will, I don't want to say that you'll be arrogant, but you will, you will without hesitation, if someone asks you, do you, are you baptized in the Spirit, or do you speak with other tongues, you'll say, absolutely, I speak in other tongues because of what God's done in my heart and life. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting right there. Let's go a little further. Let me drop these nuggets down. They're going to post bullet statements on the screen. Concerning speaking in tongues for private devotion, first of all, number one, you must will to do it. That's hard for people to understand because when you're new to the experience and you're in pursuit of it, you think that the Holy Spirit is going to come over you in some type of overpowering presence that's going to speak the words for you. But that's not the case. It's never been the case with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God empowers you to do something. When Samson tore the gate from the hinge, you know, in his warfare against the Philistines, the Spirit of God didn't tear the gate down. He tore the gate down. But he was empowered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You say, what about your will? 1 Corinthians 14 and 15 says this, I will pray. Notice this, I will pray with the Spirit. And I will pray with my understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. Some people think it's only when the Holy Spirit moves on them and they have an emotional response to the Holy Spirit. I thank God for emotional responses, but I'm going to tell you, I don't base the, the gift of God in my life based upon my emotions. I exercise it by faith. I will pray. Any of us, once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can pray in tongues and you can pray in English as easy as you stood in front of your sink this morning and turned hot water on on one faucet and turned cold water on on the other. Come on now, you can. You will will to do it. God's empowered you to do it, and you're functioning in it. And when you get that revelation, that's going to help you because an angel from heaven's not going to come and move your tongue up and down. And we're not going to whisper in your ear when we pray for you and just say, la, 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 repeat after me. We're not going to do that. You're going to have the revelation that you've asked the Father for the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you ask him, he'll give it to you. Come on, and then when you have the faith to pray in the Spirit, you're going to get your breakthrough. Glory to God. Number two, when I pray in the Spirit, I don't understand what I'm praying for. Now, some people don't realize that there's a spiritual principle behind that I'm going to allude to in a moment. But in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, or excuse me, 14 and 14, Paul said, my understanding is unfruitful. I don't necessarily, now unless I interpret later in my prayer time, then I don't understand. But what am I doing? Number three, I'm trusting a principle that I'm going to show you right now. I'm trusting this principle right here. By faith, I understand the revelation that Romans 8 and 26 holds. Romans 8 and 26 says this, if y'all can post that one, Andrea. It says that the Spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. It says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. P.C. Nelson, who was the founder of Southwestern Bible College and was also a, a Greek scholar, said that that word uttered there would be, uh, it, would be it would actually be defined as uh, uttered in articulate speech. So it's that unction of the Holy Spirit. So the reason why I pray in the Spirit and I don't have understanding, I don't need to have understanding because I'm trusting that the Spirit of God, come on, is praying the will of God through me. See, my mind, I know I'm the only one on this point right here. My mind can be carnal. And I can pray selfishly. I can make it all about me and my, and my house, and my household. It can all be about dropping blessing from heaven on Lee Brown if I'm just praying in my own mind. But when I trust the Spirit of God, He's praying through me the will of God. Let's post another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, in this context. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Tenth verse, God reveals them unto us by what? By his Spirit. His, his Spirit does what? Searches all things, even what? The How many of you know there's some deep things in God? Things that I don't know that my mind is not privy to. But the Spirit knows these things. Eleventh verse. For what man knows the things of a man except for the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God knows the things of God and knows the heart and the mind and the will of God. And when me and my mind, when I don't know how to pray the will of God, I can trust the Holy Ghost who searches the heart and mind of God and therefore I'm not praying in the flesh and I'm not praying, praying according to my carnal mind, but I'm praying the mind and the heart of God. Hallelujah. And the 12th verse... For we have received not the spirit of the world, the world cannot receive these things, but that we have received the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit brings those to our awareness. And as you and I pray in the spirit, you say, Pastor Brown, what happens when I pray in the spirit? 1 Corinthians 14 and 4 says that if you, if you speak in tongues or pray in the spirit, then you yourself are edified. Now, often this scripture is taken and it is misaligned and it is taught in the context that the church is the only thing that should be edified. In a corporate setting, the ministry gift of tongues demands interpretation that the body can be edified. But when I'm alone in my prayer closet, I don't have anybody that needs edification but me. The word edified in the Greek means to be built up. Why does my sons go to the gym? Because they want to be, I know, because they come home and they wear this old sliver of a shirt. You know, just like a little sliver here, so all the rest is all, you know. And then uh, our house has got those like mirror-like windows. And they can't even talk to you when they come back to the gym because they're looking past you. They're all like that and all. I'm telling the truth. I ain't lying. Because they're built up. You know what they're doing? Because they're looking at Dad. And they say, if I don't work out and exercise, I'll be cursed to look like my father. <laughs> but if I'll build myself up, I'll gain a strength that I don't have. Come on, and when you get alone with God and you begin to pray that mind and the will and the heart of God, then you're going to be built up. Jude said you'll build up your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, that's good right there. 
There's power in this church family. The devil wants it to seem like it's confusing until you shy away from it. God wants to see that there is a release of great grace in your life. Come on, and when you use it and exercise it, biblically it's going to produce edification, not only in the body but in your own life. Now, here's a great truth right here. I'm giving you nuggets. There's just 10, and I'm going to close on that 10th one with a great uh, revelation, I believe. As I pray, I declare the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. See, and there's a cycle that takes place. But let's read 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, King James, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto... Come on. So when I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm not talking to you. Are y'all out there in Radio Land, church family? Come on, when I'm speaking in other tongues, unless I'm functioning in a ministry gift of the Spirit, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to Him. No man understandeth Him. However, Paul said in the Spirit, He speaks mysteries. The Amplified Bible says this. It says that He utters secret truths and hidden things that are not obvious to the understanding. Now, there's a powerful principle right there. That you've got to catch hold of that. The Spirit has searched the heart and the mind of God, the things of God. And as you begin to pray, you're speaking those hidden truths. Well, faith cometh by hearing. Come on, my faith doesn't, need, uh, it doesn't just respond to English. It, re- it responds to pneuma, spirit. So, see, so even without me hearing in my intellect... My faith grows because I'm hearing my spirit speak the hidden truths of God. So faith rises in my heart. Now, number six, I can interpret what I pray in tongues by speaking or praying my native language, 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. And in doing so, that produces edifying as I hear the mysteries of God spoken in my known language. Oh, y'all missed a great place to say amen. Let me go with you a little bit further. I'm try- My job as a pastor is to teach you how to use the gift that God's given you for the greatest good. And so as you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we've had several in the last couple of three weeks be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're going to begin to grow and, and, and begin to use this unction that God's now given them. And they're going to experience it firsthand in their own life that as they pray in the Spirit and as they get along with God, that there is a bubbling up and, and they, will, they will give that utterance in tongues and, and there's nobody around them to be edified, but they're edified. And then their, their tongue will give way to their native language and oftentimes your native language will now interpret you'll be speaking the interpretation of what you just prayed in the spirit and you may have had something heavy in your heart and the Holy Spirit prayed the perfect will of God you spoke in tongues but then now as you speak out in the native language then God gives you a word to your understanding that produces edifying in your mind and then now you've got a mind that stayed upon the Lord glory to God then you get promises and unctions and revelations from God because you're interpreting what you're pray. Number seven, I can speak to myself in tongues quietly and to God, 1 Corinthians 14 and 28. In the context of in the church, if there is no interpreter, the ministry gift of tongues, which is to everybody in that setting, can be brought down low and you can sit there and under your breath. Come on. Well, how many of you know there are plenty more situations in life, even in public? Come on, were you just under your breath? Come on. 
Let's be honest. You just, no, 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 no. Hello, somebody. Come on, y'all go with me, church family. Come on, we live in a world where all kinds of evil is swirling around us. All kinds of ugly words and things and, and, and things that people are doing around us. But you know what? We can just get in that little moment and say, that stuff's not coming in here. Come on. And the byproduct of that is when you pray in the Spirit to yourself, it keeps you more mindful of His presence. It does. And you become more aware, acutely aware of His presence. Number eight today, I can give thanks to God in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 16, and 17, in teaching what happens in the negative sense, Paul also reveals a positive. In the negative sense, if we were to have a fellowship meal together and I stood up and I spoke, over, I spoke in tongues over the meal, Paul said you will give thanks well, but the other's not edified. So let's pause and look at it. Very quickly, I would give thanks well, you wouldn't be edified, so I'm not going to do it. But it reveals a powerful truth. In my spirit, as I pray, I'm giving God thanks. You say, why is that so important? Because the Bible says, be ye thankful. The Bible says, in everything, give God thanks. The Bible says that with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's, it's wrong for us to always be asking God and never praising God. That's why it's by Him, therefore, I offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of my lips, giving thanks unto God. And when I'm speaking in the Holy Ghost, I know my spirit is saying, God, you have blessed this skinny preacher. And I want to thank you today for all the favor, the grace, the good things. Every good and perfect gift falls from heaven. And I, God, I want to thank you for it, all the good things you've done in my life. I'm giving thanks well. Come on, you're giving thanks well. Number nine, nugget of truth, principle. Speaking in tongues, these last two are very powerful. Don't miss these. We're going to close in a moment. Speaking in tongues, the message today is simply entitled, The Power, The Power of Speaking in Other Tongues. The power, what does it do in your life? Speaking in tongues creates a prophetical flow that will often loose other spiritual gifts. Now, in John 7, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, we were there in Israel years ago, about three years ago, and we were, we, 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 a, a pastor reenacted that scene for us for a moment. We were at the edge of the, of the Jihon or the Gihon Spring. I don't know how you pronounce it, G-I-H-O-N. It's a spring that comes forth underneath the city of Jerusalem. And, and, and it flows through the city, and, and then it, and it comes out. And there's a, there's, a special, uh, there's a special feast where they go and they take a cup of that water, and they, they go from the spring back into the city, back into the temple, and they would offer it. Jesus was watching that procession go by when he saw them, and he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And when you come to him and drink, he said this, out of your own belly will flow a river of living water. And the 38th verse of John 7 says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when you have that loosing of tongues in your life, it's a river of living water. Now recently we have seen the effects of what high water can do all around the state. But there are some positives that when the water gets high and flows out. Number one, it washes away a lot of debris that didn't need to be there. Come on, now when you begin to pray in the Spirit, it will flush your mind. Come on, your thoughts and your actions of certain things that doesn't need to be there. 
But new water brings in new sediment. And it brings in other minerals with it. When you begin to pray in the Spirit and you do so on a consistent basis, you better get ready because the Spirit of God is going to bring another gift with it. Those things that you've been praying for, earnestly desiring the best gifts as you drink of that living water out of your own belly is flowing a river of living water, other spiritual gifts will begin to follow as you pray in the Spirit. Don't pray in the Spirit and you may not receive those giftings. Pray in the Spirit and those things are going to flow in your own life. And lastly today, because we're going to bring the worship team back in a few moments, lastly today, just nuggets or principles but I may have saved the best for last, as powerful as these others are. Now, I've given you a lot today, I understand. I've given you a lot that you're going to contemplate on, ponder. Hopefully, you'll be able to go back and listen to this lesson, this message, sermon, preaching, teaching, whatever you want to call it. And you're going to, in malice, you're going to be children, but in understanding, you're going to be men. You're going to want to grow in your knowledge of this. Because if God gives you something and you never grow in your knowledge of, then you're going to either misuse it or neglect it. So therefore, you've got to learn, study, become receptive. Set your, the people that exercise spiritual gifts on a regular basis and grow in the Spirit are the people that set their heart and pursue after God. That's why Paul said, earnestly desire, long for these things. Let me give you this one in closing today. 1 Corinthians 14 and 22. Post that on the screen if you would, Andrew, please. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Now, tongues, again, there is a ministry gift, and then there's the private devotion. It's the same in essence, but it's a different purpose. Tongues are for a sign, he said, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So he's contrasting the effects of prophesying, especially in the public arena, versus the ministry gift of tongues that requires interpretation. He said prophesying will serve those who believe not, but tongues are a sign to the, uh, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, so unbelievers. Tongues are a sign. Now, a sign is an indicator of something else, something supernatural, something that's powerful in the spirit. So Paul is saying first, the first application of this is that when you begin to pray in the Spirit, then that's a sign to unbelievers that the mysterious power of God is present. Remember on the day of Pentecost, they all ran and said, what is going on here? That's hillbilly translation of what meaneth this. King James translation said, what meaneth this? These men are full of new wine. They were simply saying, what is going on here? It caught their attention. A sign needs to catch your attention, right? You, you better hope if you're going to cross a, a road that the bridge is out, that there's a sign that says bridge is out. So it needs to catch your attention. So, but now, I saw this years ago, and I saw a mystery. I believe a mystery, a revelation. Wherefore, tongues are a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So if a sign is an indicator and a warning, in essence, of, a, of, a, of another power or something else, it's an indicator of something else, then it's a warning to those that might see it. Now, the first application is unbelievers. The second depth to that is demonic spirits. Because demonic spirits are, in essence, unbelievers. They don't believe in Christ. 
in, they believe in, they know who he is, but they don't believe for salvation, cannot believe for salvation. So think for me for just a moment of time. If in the public we speak in tongues, the unbelievers say, well, that must mean God is doing something. But when we in the spirit begin to speak forth the utterance in tongues, then what we're saying becomes a sign to demonic spirits, becomes an indicator to them. Let me go a little bit further. There's a mystery here. Stay with me for just a moment. I'm closing. There's no more voice. Ephesians 3 and 10, I think we're going to post that scripture. It says, to the intent now, that now the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Let me give you the clarification of that. How many of you know demonic spirits abide in the heavenly realm? They're called principalities and powers right here. Evil spirits. What do they do? They wage warfare on the church. They come on, they try to hinder the work of God. They fight and resist. The devil resists. Paul said, we would have come to you earlier, but Satan resisted us. He said, so here, now that when we gain revelation of who we are in Christ, what God has done in us, then we declare it not just to people, but we declare it to evil spirits because they're trying to resist the work of God. So when you begin to speak in other tongues and the Spirit of God searches the heart and the mind and the wisdom of God and begins to pray it through you, then that becomes a sign to your adversary, the devil. Come on, that you know who you are in Christ. And what he stole, he'll steal no more. Glory to God. So I thought about that, and I'm going to close as the worship team comes back to the platform. Just a few signs that I'd like to, I believe that as you begin to pray in the Spirit, these are words that begin to speak to those principalities and powers. The first thing I think that we begin to see is a stop sign. The enemy's been harassing you. The enemy's been troubling your mind. The enemy's been creating fear, anxiety, and worry. But when you begin to speak in the Holy Ghost and pray in the power of the Spirit, then what are you saying to your adversary? You're saying, stop in the name of the Lord. You have no right to torment my mind. Glory to God. Come on, number two, we believe that as you pray in the Spirit, what you're telling the devil is no trespassing. That's why I walk through my house speaking in other tongues. That's why I walk in my front yard. That's why if you ever were to drive by my pasture, you may find me in the middle of my pasture doing just what I do right here on Sundays, and I'm speaking to the devil and saying, Devil, you can't have my family. You can't have my children. You can't have my relationship with my spouse. Every good thing God has given me, I say no trespassing unto you. You have no right to any inheritance of God. Glory to his name. Come on somebody. Number three today in Jesus name. I also want the devil to know that if he's messing with me, the greater come on is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on danger devil. You picked the wrong fight. How many of you know when David came walking down that mountain and Goliath, who was of the seed of serpents, saw him, said, Who is that child? He can't take me in battle. He, am I a dog that you would send a child? But what he didn't know is that 1 Samuel 16 said that when Samuel anointed David in the field, the Holy Ghost came on him and was with him from that day forward. So he had a power that was greater on the inside than what Goliath had on the outside, and so do you. Hallelujah. The devil can learn high voltage. Hallelujah. Number four as we're closing today. Private property. Come on. Trespassers will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. 
I'll take the Word of God and tear him up. Come on now. Don't be intimidated by the devil. You've got a sword that will penetrate past any lie, myth, anything that he tries to hinder the will of God in your life for. You've got a sword. You'll prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. And lastly, come on, there's power. Come on, I know there's power in the name of Jesus. There's also power in speaking in other tongues because it came from Jesus. Hallelujah. This is one of my favorites. How many of you ever say that? Get thee behind me, Satan. Come on, get thee behind me, Satan. When I began to pray in the Spirit, going through spiritual warfare, do you know Psalm 8? Psalms 8, I believe it's the second verse, says that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, God has perfected praise. Isn't that what it says? Isn't that what Jesus quoted? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. I know I'm going a long time today, but that's okay. It's worth it. Come on, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. But the next verses of Scripture, or the connection to that is, but through that praise it said, you will steal the avenger. Come on, so when you speak with other tongues, you're both singing in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. Not only are you worshiping God, not only are you being edified and built up and growing in your faith, but you're also stealing the voice of the avenger. That's why I can just do it quietly, just like you can. And I can just shut him up, give him no place, knowing that what's being prayed in me is the will of God. I'm speaking unto principalities and powers, the many-fold, many-sided wisdom of God, giving no place to the devil, declaring who I am in Christ and what Christ has done in me through the power of his shed blood and the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the devil, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. No stronghold in my life. Get thee behind me. That's what we can do. That's what we can be because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Won't you stand up today? So we're going to close today. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, church family. Don't be ashamed. Come on, don't be ashamed. Why don't we do just for a few minutes today, just for a few minutes, why don't we do what we were doing just a few moments ago? Let's just go back into worship for just a moment. And to close the service today, and however it, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit takes, you know, we've been praying for people to receive the Spirit. We prayed last week to restir the gifts of the Spirit. You know, I know that, that I know there's a difference between being uh, used to give a message in tongues, which requires interpretation, and speaking privately to God in your prayer time and in your worship time. But I'm telling you, you know, when you come to the altar, that's your private time. It doesn't have to be interpreted. You're not going to speak it to someone else. You're not speaking it as a ministry gift. You're just worshiping God and edifying your own faith. So I think it would be benefiting today. It would be ben- I think it would be biblical. If to close this service, we just kind of open the altar up, just began to sing and worship God, and then just for a few moments here today, we just simply, again, begin to just release that great grace, the power of speaking in other tongues. I know that it's not going to be contained to just this moment. If it was contained to just this moment, it would be, for, it would be limited. It wouldn't deserve the attention that it deserves if it was contained to this moment, but it's not. It's not. This is just a stimulus. This is just to keep it fresh and flowing so that you can all throughout the week, when you know not what you should pray for as you ought, but the spirit that's on the inside of you joins with your spirit. You begin to speak out utterances that you cannot necessarily articulate in a known language. You're just worshiping God. 
And in doing so, you're edified and built up. So I invite you to the altar today. I'll just get down there with you in the name of Jesus. Now, I know if you have to be dismissed, be dismissed reverently. But if you don't have to be, take a few minutes. Take just a few minutes today. And let's just let these waters continue to be troubled. You know, even if you've not received the baptism in the Spirit, come forward and just say, Father, I come to you and drink.